Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is comedian and writer Dana Gould, whose body of work includes The Simpsons, Parks and Recreation, and an upcoming series called Stan Against Evil, which he's shooting for IFC right now. He also has a podcast called The Dana Gould Hour, which you should check out if you haven't already. Dana picked Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, Stanley Kubrick's exceptional 1964 Cold War satire. If you've never seen it, there's a long overdue special edition coming out on the Criterion Collection label on June 28th. Although, if you've never seen it, why are you still listening to this? Go watch it. And then you can discover all of its glorious layers. The amazing multiple performances from Peter Sellers, the dynamic insanity of George C. Scott and Sterling Hayden and Slim Pickens, the incredible cynicism in the plotting, the amazing production design, and the way it's resonated through a subsequent half-century of American cinema. Then you can come back and listen to the episode. Oh, and we also take like ten minutes to talk about the Star Wars franchise in the middle of it, but it came up organically. I should also point out that we recorded this episode a while back um, when the idea of Donald Trump clinching the Republican presidential nomination seemed like the stuff of, well, a Stanley Kubrick satire. It's still relevant, just like Dr. Strangelove. This is someone else's movie. I think it's the perfect comedy, and it is the funniest comedy I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And uh, the comedy comes from where I love to get comedy from, which is uh, uh, fear and desperation. <laughs> and uh, the whole the whole story of it is uh, of how it got made and how it came to be is just so phenomenal. And and there's not a bum frame in it. And it's it, it's it's a brutally funny comedy made by very serious people. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good way to put it. The, yeah. the thing that the thing that fascinates me the most, I think, about Strangelove is before we even get into the movie, is the running time. It's arguably Kubrick's most economical film. Yes, and that includes stuff like Killer's Kiss, which is like seventy-eight minutes. Yeah, He's still he he absolutely machine tooled this thing. Yes, and I think that's true. Like I, whenever a movie gets over two hours, I'm like, well, is this necessary? I like, and I, you know, I have that approach with my stand-up. Like, there was a period a couple of years ago where, like, Dane Cook did seven hours, <laughs> Dave Chappelle did forty-eight days. It it doesn't matter how long you're on stage, means nothing. Uh, it's what you do while you're on stage. I'm like that with my stand-up. I'm like that with music. I'm like that with books. It's like shorter, better, faster, funny, lean and mean is better. You know, mm-hmm. cut cut the fat, cut the fat. Um, and it works for the pace of the film where you're racing towards, you know. Yeah, you don't have time to stop and you don't have time to stop and meander. You just you just plow, 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 plow. And I just that's just my attitude. I just I, I think that's, um, you know, I always think that's better. I, I you know, uh, Star Wars at night, you know, I don't know how long Star Wars is, but it wouldn't be better at a, at a half an hour more. Right. Um, I think the prequels proved that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like, I don't I don't care. Just what's next? What's next? Yeah. What's next? What's next? So what was your first experience of Strangelove? When did you discover it? I didn't discover it till... I mean, I knew the name of it. Like, I was aware of it. But I didn't really get into it 
until uh, I was in a like uh, in my twenties, and then uh, I saw it and really appreciated it. And what got me into it was I was a big fan of Peter Sellers, obviously. And the thing about Doctor Strangelove is it's the only time in my estimation that he's ever been blown off screen. I mean, those scenes with Sterling Hayden, no one is looking at Peter Sellers. Everyone is looking at Sterling Hayden and it's a masterclass in film acting because all Hayden is Hayden is so still in those scenes. Yeah. He's so grounded and real and quietly insane that it's it's fascinating and someone once said you know that the as you know uh, the you know the camera is a machine that photographs people thinking. Yep. Oh yeah. And that's why that's why screen acting and stage acting are so drastically different. Um, and uh, that's nowhere better illustrated than when Sterling Hayden towards the end of that movie it starts to ruminate. Uh, it's just it's just phenomenal to see. It, it, it's so I mean the whole movie is there's not a bad frame in it. And uh, and the story of how it came about is fascinating. But those scenes with Sterling Hayden and Peter Sellers were literally, you talk about raising the stakes. It's two men in a room, and they're trying, and one man is trying to literally save the world. You know, it's, 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 yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's everything that drama shows. Drama's conflict, it's one character trying to get to One character is going to end the world, the other character is trying to save the world. But the character that's going to end the world is crazy, so the character that is trying to save the world can't come at him directly. He's got to come at him from the side. Yeah. It's brilliant. It's just, you couldn't build a better comedy machine at everything that really matters about comedy. And, and, the, and the thing that just, it doesn't get better is when he, Sellers really starts to get desperate and he starts going, um, uh, we were fighting them off, weren't we, Jack? You with the gun and me with the belt. Feed me, you said. And I was feeding you, Jack. I was feeding you. Why don't you feed me the code, old boy? I mean, it's just so... It, it's just they're, they're crawling out of their skin, but they have to maintain a sense of social uh, niceness. Yeah. Like, you can't just throttle him. Well, it's just, it's amazing. It's like, a, it's you know, it's like a Thomas Berger novel. It's just amazing. And that wonderful conflict between the English and the American sensibilities, mm -hmm. which Kubrick kind of milks more, well, yeah, more here than in anything else, because the stuff like Eyes Wide Shut, where he was shooting in England, but it right, was pretending to in America, be New York. Yeah. He just sort of got away from that. But the, yeah, the, it, I'm, I'm garbling up because there's so much that you can yeah. talk about with Strange Love. Yeah. But it is this incredible nuclear fusion of all of his tendencies as a filmmaker including yes. that weird satirical aspect and I'm sure you've heard about or even read the earliest drafts of this thing were serious were they, well the first it was serious it was Red yeah. Alert yeah. uh, and then he got hold of the script gave it to Terry Sutherland and they turned it into a comedy yeah. well apparently and I'm sure you know this they he was writing it either he, he didn't originally write it with Terry Sutherland he wrote it with I believe his producer uh, he wrote it with another uh, James Harris Yes, Rowe James Harris and or him and James Harris would have story meetings, and they would crack each other up, and they would talk about like when they were in the war room, they would have to order dinner, and there would be this thing where the war room would stop, and then they would be asked like, do they have, do they do they have, the, and th that just started to 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 destroy them, and it was one of those things that you can't see because it's too close, that he realized 
this is the only way I can tell the story because it's in, it's innately lunacy. The the whole concept of human beings destroying themselves is is innately lun, uh, a lunatic idea. That the only way he could really tell the story was as a comedy. And then through um, that they started coming. And then he got devices. there was one where aliens were watching the history. Yes, 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 yes. And then Terry Southern came in. And the amazing thing about uh, Southern's, I'm assuming it's Southern's contribution, is just the names. Yeah. My my favorite, probably my favorite line in the movie. And it's so funny because I talked about Sterling Hayden, but all my favorite lines are Sellers' lines. Because Sterling Hayden, what's amazing about Sterling Hayden is he does, he just sits there. He's inflexible. He is granite. He is a statue. And somebody said the other day that. um, St- Sterling Hayden is such a gay-sounding name that only a man as heterosexual as Sterling Hayden could make it not gay. <laughs> That's a pretty interesting interpretation. Yeah, I mean, he is like... he's, um, But uh, the line where he goes to, to uh, Keenan Wynn, Now you listen to me, Colonel Bat Guano, if that is in fact your name. <laughs> That's a, such an amazing line. Yeah, it's just a not. I mean, it's right up there. If I the the second place behind uh, of a strange lump for me is Holy Grail. Okay, just in terms of like punch you in the face hilariousness at an at an unending clip at a nonstop clip. Um, and the thing about both of them is both written by groups of incredibly smart people. You know, now a lot of comedies that I you know I include myself in this is just uh, you know. They're, they're not as educated. They're not as... I mean, these people were geniuses. Yeah. You know, so smart. And what do you know? They came up with something brilliantly funny. Yeah. And there is that sense when in the 60s and 70s when it wasn't shameful to throw a reference out. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't talk down. It's like a deep dive. Yeah, exactly. It's um, like a deep dive. And they didn't... And apparently, if you are really schooled in Arthurian legend, Holy Grail is... Ten times as funny. Yeah, it like, up. There's, I mean, it but sense. it's also it's like there's stuff that I am not, you know, schooled on uh, Arthurian legend, so I don't know about X Y Z. But there's oh no, this is this is a like the knights who say Neep is actually has its origins oh, in some story that if you knew about it, it would be funnier. You know, it's just okay. one of those things. Yeah. And that, I'm still in awe of the fact that they got like a two minute speech about anarcho syndicalist communes in there. Yeah, no, I mean it's and, really, really brilliant. You and trusted that the audience would sit for it. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, while just packing mud. Yeah, <laughs> just packing mud. A proletariat. You know, exactly. it's just amazing. Yeah, being oppressed. Yeah, and um, they and the and then the other the answer to that in life of Brian is the People's Front of Judea, right. and the, the which Judean is uh, yeah, front yeah. and the back and forth on that. Yeah, and it just you know that's just such beautiful stuff that people nowadays it's not that they don't respect it it's now they're actively contemptuous of it <laughs> yeah you expect now that the, the depth of reference will be you know oh this guy looks like a Jay Leno thing yeah yeah it's, yeah it's a yeah. thing that looks like that thing you know it's yeah. not you're not required I mean it's the Oxbridge thing I assume where you you know well I know this and therefore yeah. it's funny to me right and, and I've always felt room laugh. exactly and, and people don't you know people will come to you you know your audience will meet you on the on the on the fifty or the sixty or the you know it's like you don't have to go all the way to them right yeah, yeah. you can yeah. you can make them you can make them meet you and half the stuff that I as a kid I was in Monty Python as a kid I didn't get all the references oh, yeah. but you know what some of them I got curious about and I looked it up and then I became smarter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know and I appreciated it yeah. and and you know that that has value too and if Strangelove has uh, its own um, sort of 
educational aspect, then I think it's really about telling people what the Cold War paranoia was like, and and sort of tilting. I mean, I think yeah, like my thirteen my thirteen year old daughter is uh, is really bright and has great taste, um, and is a real movie is a real nerdy kid, and you know I'll show her Strange Love in a couple of years and. She might not like it, but I was like, this is what it was like in the 50s and 60s in America. Yeah. Like, we really were... I mean, I went to school in the 70s, and we had atomic bomb drills. Did you really? Yeah, Even we had duck and cover drills wow. uh, in 74 and 5. Wow. I was... Um, maybe a little bit earlier, but yeah, no, I had them, definitely. Yeah. I definitely had them, yeah. I'm a kid of the late 70s, early 80s, and in Canada, it just wasn't a thing. I mean, yeah. we, we had the paranoia, and we yeah. had the terror, and, you know, yeah. the year the day after played, and Testament right. came out and all that, but it was always so abstract in that it would be a thing that was going to happen, but and not, we wouldn't cause it. Like, we never felt... Well, yeah, you're just innocent possible. bystanders. No, we... Yeah. I remember... Uh, I remember the, the 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 classroom in this school. It was when I was in, so I had to be fifth grade, fourth or fifth grade. So that would be seventy four or seventy five. Wow. Doing a duck and cover drill under the if we hear the siren, we go under our desk. Jesus, Christ. you know. And by that time, it was probably just a mandatory thing for public schools that was becoming a vestige. Right. Yeah. That they said like eventually said we don't need to do this anymore. Yeah. But we did it. It was absolutely like and also it was like the President's Council on Physical Fitness, which was a which was from the Kennedy administration. And we had to do it. President's Council on Physical Fitness where we had to go and you had to do ten push ups and ten you had to have a modicum of physical fitness. If they had that today there would be lawsuits of the yin yang. Oh, yeah. How dare you make my morbidly obese child do a push up. Right. I'm not um, gonna drink all this corn syrup and then do that. Yeah, no, but that's what it yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. People would go bananas. It's it's amazing to realize though that Strange Love would have played for audiences that didn't know how to Take it like initially, right? Because it plays straight. It starts off as it, a fairly yeah. No, it plays movie. it plays straight, and and at the time that paranoia and that that nervousness was real. It was a year after the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, oh yeah. No, it was it was really real, and I, and I think it was one of those things where you and it you know it was at the beginning of what was known in stand-up as the sick comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was early '60s where Lenny Bruce, Shelley Berman, Mort Saul, and these guys were known as sick comics because they wouldn't just tell jokes about my, their mother-in-law. Right. You know, they're actually talking about the news. Marcel would go on stage in the newspaper. Blah, blah, blah. I saw him do that in the 90s. It didn't work as well. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it was... You have to... Well, you know, you you know what they say. Evolution does not favor the strongest. It favors those most adaptable to change. Sure. And, and uh, in the '60s, I'm sure. I mean, I've heard the album. Saul was fantastic. He was topical. He was fast. Yes, yeah. he was. Prepared. And he took on Eisenhower, which people were like, "Was how dare you?" Uh, no, he was. He was amazing. Um, but people so, were talking about that. And Doctor Strangelove was very much of that time. It was very much of a piece to that time. It was how can you joke about this? And their answer would be, "How can you not?" Yeah. joke about this the insanity of we mutually assured destruction is this thing that we are and, and at that time we're sprinting yeah. towards I mean, as a, I mean we were like all about it um, how can you not write uh, you know how can you not write a comic and you know George C. Scott's character was based on a real guy mm-hmm. you know uh, Buck Turgidson is not as you know, it is a shadow of Curtis LeMay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Curtis yeah. LeMay was a real guy, and he was that goddamn crazy. No, he wanted to run for president because he could have a nuclear war that way. Yeah, that yeah. Was his I mean, platform. yeah, and and I and I think that we're not going to get our hair must is 
is close to what he said. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And the and by the way, had we lost World War II, he would have been, uh, um, what's the word? Uh, per, uh, not persecuted, but charged with war crimes. Mm. Uh, it, Robert McNamara says it in The Fog of War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In World War II, Curtis LeMay firebombed wooden cities. <laughs> you know, Nagoya, a city made of wood. Yeah. And uh, and all of these other... And they firebombed them and killed hundreds of thousands of civilians. Yeah. Which um, is only triumphant because, as you say, the war was won. Yeah, the, we won the war, so the winner writes the history. Yeah. Yeah. Had, it, had we lost, he would have been a war criminal. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we still haven't really reckoned with Iraq and with, with Afghanistan and all of that stuff. Nor a, will we ever. Yeah. Well, no, it's in, it's in no one's interest. Yeah. Yeah. And Iraq specifically is interesting because... Everyone knows it was a mistake yeah. now, but we just can't admit it. Yeah, we're recording this in 2016, 13 years after the fact. Trump just came out and said that Bush lied to people. It's, yeah, it took that uh, long, and it had to be somebody that insane. It had to be a Republican. Well, it's the first time a Republican said it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it's fascinating. I mean, he's just a fascinating character because <clears throat> he still gets the support of Republicans. Mm-hmm. But not all of them. It's the power, I think, the, the appeal of the power figure, which yeah. actually brings us back to Strangelove and yeah. the idea that if you are the biggest and blusteriest guy, uh, specifically Scott in the film, like yeah. you can you can yell things about a mine shaft gap and be taken seriously. Well, yeah, and that is just you know to to, to bang it back to Trump for one sure second thing, as yeah. an analogy, because he literally does do and say anything, and there is a sort of a, a social the social contract prevents journalists from saying, you're insane. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you can't say that he's dumb. No, he's canny. He's yeah. playing the room every time. Which playing is, the room every which time. Which is absolutely fascinating. Uh, you know, what would be fascinating to see when if he got elected, which would be hor- yeah. horrifying, but... If he got elected, he wouldn't do anything. Yeah. He'd but, be an obstructionist. Yeah, he wouldn't be able wouldn't to do anything. Way, yeah. And he doesn't believe anything that he's saying. He only believes in enhancing his own brand. And the minute he realizes that his legacy will be defined as a president by what he accomplishes, he will shift his focus to what he can accomplish. And he will become, you know, and then the people... That, and then it'll be interesting to see his le- if his legions rebel i don't think he's going to win i i uh, because right now he's only appealing to a portion of a portion of a portion of the electorate to that end he's vastly popular but it's like in sports right now he's in the division playoffs he's not gotten to the final yet there's an entire half of the country that hasn't been able to weigh in on him yet and they're nearly universally opposed to him there's so many people out to get you know so many you know like you can't say in the Republican Party that George Bush was wrong yeah well, you, and, you now you can because yeah. he's made it. He's finally set the precedent. But yeah, yeah for thirteen years, but no one could speak there, against it. But the people who have Bush's back are waiting, and the minute he stumbles, the knives that are going to go into his back won't stop. Yeah, that's what I don't understand. It's like everybody keeps saying, and they said it with Ford too. There's this conviction, I think, somehow that the world will write itself, that the system will write itself. Yeah. And with it Ford, just takes much saw he was invulnerable because yeah. the only thing that until works, he wasn't. Well, but he, but that was his, like, the only thing that could destroy Rob Ford was Rob Ford. Yeah, well, that would be with Donald Trump. Or it was the same with Richard Nixon. I suppose with Nixon, These people yeah, get to the, the point, these these people with clinical narcissism, 
mm-hmm. get to the point where the only hurdle left is to destroy themselves because they've achieved all they want to achieve. Right. And then they can't resist the temptation. You are your own target. Yeah, Finally, so they just like, do it. Yeah. With Trump, I don't know. I, I, I think just, he's trying to destroy himself. Yeah. Now he's going to war with the Pope. That's like, where else can you go? Yeah, and I, I, I literally think he's trying to derail it because he doesn't really want to do the job. Yeah. And people are just like, no, we love it. Yeah. Well, that's what they, that's why he always, that supposedly, that's why he always abandoned his presidential bids in the past is because it's work and he doesn't want to do it. Yeah. And now something somehow tipped him over the edge and he just can't stop. Yeah, I don't know. It does, it is, you know, and Strange Love is a movie about seven Trumps. Yeah, and hurtling, <laughs> all of us hurtling towards destruction. And the other beautiful thing about Strange Love, and I don't have the exact numbers on that, but somebody made this point, that it is a movie about global thermonuclear war and it's told in seven rooms. Yeah. Yeah, they're you all know, small situations. Yeah, small you don't need to show everything. You can, it's all, I wrote a movie and... There was a, a, you know, a supernatural element, and the, and the producer. Like, we need to see how the world is reacting to this. We need to go online. No, you don't. No, oh, the minute you do that, yeah, yeah, because no, that that, that, uh, that lets us in the audience ask questions, which you should never do. Right? Yeah. No, we just keep it in these. In this, you know, it's like Day of the Triffids or um, Village of the Dam. No, it can be mm. in the town. The town can be the world. Yeah. The town can stand in for the world. People will buy it. Yeah. Well, that's you know, Romero's zombie rule, right? Like, it's always just one room. It's always, you you end up trapped with the people you're trapped with. And unfortunately, now it's such a structure that, well, humanity would betray itself. It's like, yeah, we know. Yeah. Just once, let's do something different with the zombies. It's but, really true. It's, but there's nowhere to go once you've isolated yourself. Well, I don't know if you've seen, and I'm sure you have, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. One of my favorite movies. One of my Setting favorite in movies. Far Flung, if I remember correctly, 1997. Right? One. Was it really that early? <laughs> North America, oh, 1991. But what's amazing is, I was talking to her, we were talking about the movie, because it is an amazing movie, I mean, for what yeah. it accomplished. And, and, and for what it says about the way people perceived the world in the 60s when the film was, or in the 70s when the film yeah. was made, right? Because it's it's the natural extrapolation of the civil rights allegories. Yeah. But it's insane. It's about the Waltz riots, yeah. Yeah. And but what's really amazing is, if you really look at it, it's not, it's conquest of four blocks of the apes <laughs> they, the of the they apes. took it's over true. four city blocks <laughs> and so my friend was my god I never realized that yeah. yeah they took over the mall yes well if you have the mall you I still go America. to that mall by the way I shop at that mall <laughs> it's Century City Mall <laughs> it's, it's an, well where can we shoot that you know we, we want to shoot outside we don't want to do too much it's like well I mean it was the Fox back lot they exactly. sold it because they were out of money from Cleopatra and when, so they sold it to realtors and they built that terrible mall yeah and when but when it works you get Fox shooting Die Hard in their own building and yeah. it's just like gorgeous and iconic and uh-huh. now every time you go to I go to LA it's just like ah, Nakatomi it makes me happy yeah, Nakatomi Plaza Ape yeah. City forever right? like it's there <laughs> yeah. it's an iconic thing forever but then you see Conquest of the Planet of the Apes you go oh there's um I'll tell you an interesting story. This is not to do with Doctor Strange. Oh. Um, you know, I'm a we have room for digression. Big Planet of the Apes fan. Talk about living in Los Angeles. Well, one of the things I moved to Los Angeles in 1989, and I have never gone out to Malibu Creek State Park, which used to be the Fox Ranch, okay. which is where they shot the exteriors for. Uh, the original Apes and many of the like sequels. All of them, right? like, yeah, wasn't the TV series shot there too? Yeah, and uh, many sequels and Mash. And I've never been out there. I have a very good friend who knows where Ape City was located in the park, and he goes, "Yeah, we'll go out." So we go, and this is maybe four months ago, a little bit, maybe five months ago. Okay. So we go out, we park, we walk into the, and then suddenly it's just like, "Oh my God, 
oh my god, oh my god, oh my, and then you're right there. And you're like, this used to be a water, this used to be have water on it, it doesn't anymore. But this is it. There's that rock, there's that rock, and if you look at photos of it on your phone, you're right there. And then you're standing where Ape City was, and you go, I wonder if there are any bits of it left. Yeah. It's everywhere. Really? So I a- walked out of there with a 30 pounds <laughs> of Ape City in my backpack, because so- it was made with this spray polyurethane concrete onto chicken wire mm-hmm. with pencil thin rod uh, with rebar. Right. So you can just snap it off. Yeah. And so you're an Ape City archaeologist. It's, yes, it's ubiquitous. You, you, you see it everywhere you look. And so I have, like, the piece <laughs> of Ape City. Man, like, people come up and like, oh, my God, that's Ape City. I go, yeah, one time it's in my garage. I'll just break off. There you go. It's a chunk <laughs> of Ape City. It's just, man, this stuff is just there. What will the archaeologists of the future think? <laughs> and it was, the, you know, it's been there for 50 years. All It's been there for 50 years. Yeah. And filmed it in the summer of 67. Yeah. And it's still there. I mean, of course it is, right? Because yeah. there was no no one thought about it. At the yeah, time. they just bulldozed it and, and and hauled away the big pieces and left the rest there. Jeez, oh, I want to go. Yeah, this is like a geocaching game. <laughs> can you find the? Can you find this site? Can you find? Yeah, Doctor Zayas's toothbrush. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it's it's really uh, it's really interesting. Well, I happen to know. Um, I have a very good friend who's a political consultant, um, who uh, worked uh, for Dan Quayle. Okay. Um, and one of the first things that Reagan wanted to see when he was elected was the war room. Sure. And they had to explain to him that that room is a product of Ken Adams. Yeah. And that the actual war room looks like this. Yeah, he wanted to see... He thought... So Reagan actually believed that in the White House there was a war room uh, similar. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually... It's a small room in the basement of the White House with a table. Yeah. And because, some TV monitor. Because if you look at, it would be, right? Yeah, like, if you look at the footage of... If you look at the footage of Obama and Hillary Clinton watching the raid on Osama bin Laden's uh, hideout in Afghanistan, that's the war room. And it just looks like a boardroom. It's just a boardroom. Yes. Yeah. Not even a particularly big one. I can see why that would be disappointing, and at the same time, of course it would be. Yeah, of course it is. Of course why, it's why not. Why would this... it be as glamorous? I yeah. Mean... The, inter- the other interesting thing about the war room that we don't, you can't see because the film is in black and white, is that it was green felt. The poker table. Because he wanted it to be a poker table. Yeah. That's just the kind of commit. And sometimes, you know, if you go on Tumblr, uh, if you go to um, fuckyeahbehindthescenes.tumblr.com, uh-huh. there's a lot of shots of, color shots of Kubrick directing Peter Sellers on the war room set. And they're color. And it's like, and there's one scene where Kubrick is in the wheelchair and Sellers is standing and they're just talking. It's really, really, really interesting. Another really interesting story about that is George C. Scott hates his performance in Dr. Strangelove. Really? Yeah. He said on the record many times, that was not my performance. That was not my performance. The Kubrick wanted a certain level of cartoonishness and Kubrick was a... Uh, and, and George C. Scott wanted to play it straight and hard and realistic. And Cuba could just go one a little bit bigger, one a little, all right, just one crazy one, and get you know just so we have it. Yeah. And everyone was that one. Everyone was that one. And George C. Scott really didn't trust Kubrick. He really wanted his own performance. George C. Scott also played chess, and Stanley Kubrick was a chess master. And so the thing that sort of silenced George C. Scott was that they started to play chess together. And Kubrick brutalized George C. Scott at chess. And that made Scott realize, well, he clearly right, he can is see thinking. Yeah, yeah, he can see ahead because he's... And, and George C. Scott was a very good chess player, or fancied himself a very good chess player. And Kubrick was just like... Tick, 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 
<laughs> I find those things amazing to be a director and to control your actors and work with actors because actors are by and large giant babies mm-hmm. that's how they are great at what they do because their id is so so locked away they are all ego that um well, actually, no. Their their ego is locked yeah. away. They're all id. I was thinking of the other use of yeah. ego. They're all id, and uh, that uh, makes you a brilliant actor and makes you impossible to deal with as a person. <laughs> and uh, and the way directors can control and manipulate actors, I find is really right because I can't do it. I have no. T- I just just say it like this. Yeah. I directed one thing, and I was like, "This is not for me." <laughs> I'm fascinated by the process because it, you know, someone like um, Jessica Chastain who cannot hide motivation it just it yeah burns out of her yeah on screen and i've met her and interviewed her a number of times and she's fantastic she's a person she's yeah. a human person and i think in her case it's because it took her like seven or eight years of real work to break right and so she hasn't learned terrible habits the, well all the behaviors of this yeah. is my instrument this is how it works she can right. turn it on and off because she's right a professional uh and then you do get somebody like i mean i don't know that's a good example like currently as we speak sheila beef is going up and down in an elevator somewhere in Oxford right. for the next 23 hours because that's an expression of his art. And this yeah. is someone who never had a chance in a normal life. Like, yeah. you know, you, Is he really doing that? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's webcasting it. It's, you know, and, and last month or two months ago... He's, he just, un- he's just unmedicated. It feels like, let's that just way, say doesn't it? it? This is someone <laughs> yeah. who could be, or just needs a cult. You know, yeah. Something he's just some people, him. you know, but, you, you know, it's like all of those, you know, there is that thing, like, um, you know, Charlie Sheen or these... They're they're unmedicated, mm-hmm. and they're unsupervised, and you can't control. You can't stop somebody from killing themselves. It's terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you can't stop Charlie Sheen from doing what Charlie Sheen wants to do, or Shia LaBeouf doing what he wants to do, and uh, you can only distract them. Yeah, and there are too many people who will make money off them by encouraging that behavior. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, you see someone whose personality is ossified into whatever it is because they've been enabled yeah. all this time. I know a lot of sitcom stars from sitcoms that were, you know, people that shouldn't have been, you know, it's like in America specifically, you know, these actors and comedians, they get a sitcom and they get a vanity executive producer credit. Right. And then they're the executive producer and they have the one thing they've never had in their life, authority. Right. The power to say no. Or the yeah. Power to, say power to fire people, power to say no. And you can see the measure of a person and how they handle it. Um, I've seen people handle it with uh, with uh, with grace and aplomb. More often than not, you see people, especially the earlier in their career they get it, you can see they are monsters. And I've seen two two people from very close up just drive themselves into the ground. Like the the the, the ballet of self destruction begins immediately right. and it's only frustrating in that it is so predictable right and that there are other people working that get taken down like the, the projects yeah. and things that are destroyed in, oh in, yeah in i mean i've seen but you know in like both they, instances in both instances uh you know i saw people happy to be out of work because they got to leave that toxic atmosphere yeah that's like i've never understood how Collateral damage functions in Hollywood. You know, like people who just have the misfortune of being on something and then get tarred you with just, it. You keep going. Yeah, yeah, you keep going, and it's it's and it's you know eternal. It's you know it's it's been around. It's it's not a new thing. Yeah, it's I guess that's where the thing. whole survivor mythology comes from too, right? Not the show, but the idea that someone is oh this person is a survivor because they've yeah come through this and this and this. Yeah, 
again, it, it, it does not, evolution does not favor the strongest. The, those adaptable to change. How yeah. much shit can you eat? Yeah. And, and as I said about Hollywood, once you, they, they give you a bucket of shit and go, now if you finish that, we'll bring you the real bucket. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, like, that's so horrible. Yeah. And it's an industry that delights billions of people. It's, it's uh, funny because it's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, the uh, to get back to directing actors though, because there, there's something that I you mentioned that Scott wanted to. Scott thought his performance was too big, yeah, because he was uncomfortable about being directed for comedy, yeah. But the other big legend of the film, of course, is Slim Pickens, who right. wasn't told that the film was a comedy. So the story goes. That, oh, I don't know this story. Well, supposedly, Kubrick said they cast him fairly late, and yeah. he said this. Is and the you guy. know why they cast him? Well, did uh, somebody else? Peter Sellers was supposed to play That's that right. role. But he broke his foot. And he fell out of the cockpit and broke his ankle or something. Right. Broke his foot, and they uh, and they got Slim Pickens. And Pickens supposedly was cast because Kubrick liked his performance in two or three other films. Yeah, and said this guy's authentic. Put him in, and no and one was, told him. There was a famous. It was a was it the Wild Bunch? Or that, that's too soon. Yeah, the Wild Bunch was made later. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. The strange love was too soon. Yeah. but there was some western that he was in that Kubrick saw and liked him. Yeah. And he came up, and he apparently he is that guy, right? Like it's it's not acting. He's he is corn. Howdy, Mister Kubrick. Yeah. Like he's the I, I think he, on legs. Yeah, he showed up in buckskins, I think, in England, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, Sellers didn't do it, and they and they and they put him in that role, and yeah, oh, it. <laughs> if he doesn't know it's a comedy. Yeah. You can't watch that last sequence with him. I mean, we can go into spoiler yeah. territory. He rides an Yeah, it's a, the down. film was released in 1963. Yeah. He you cannot have that scene played straight and yet he was doing that. Well, here again, I'm sure you know this. In his famous scene where he's going through the uh survivor kit. Right. Um there's a line Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a line where he goes, "Hell, you know, you know, three prophylactics, twenty-two dollars in cash. Again, guy have a pretty good weekend in in Dallas with all this. His line was originally, "Guy have a pretty good weekend in Dallas yeah. with all this." And they changed it to Vegas because the first premiere of the movie sneak preview was December was November twenty-second, nineteen sixty-three, and they're like, no references to Dallas. Yeah. So when it did come out, if you look during that scene, he is not saying Vegas. Oh yeah. He is no. saying Dallas. The dubbing is really and it's obvious. and it's looping. All right, pretty good weekend and there goes with all that. It's amazing that, but it's amazing that the film was even released at all after that. Yeah. Um, it's just one of those things where, Strange Love, watching it again. I think the last time I saw it was two years ago, maybe, and watching it again with an audience was ready that it, for comedy. Like, they just come in and, like, we're going to laugh at this. Right. And it won't let you right away. Like, no. It, there's, a, there's a chuckle, and then there's a kind of a staggered laugh, and then people are barking. Yeah, and, and that's great. And, you know, I... But that's, like, that's 50 years later. I can't conceive of what it would have been like to sit down and watch that watch that film. Form, it opened in January 64. Well, it must I, have been insane, because, you know, if you look at other films from that time that were, like, these legendary comedies, they are so slow. Yeah. Uh, so it was probably just like a a, a roller derby, yeah. um, but it, that's another thing about comedy that people don't realize. I do this on stage too. It's you know, com laughter and screaming both come from tension. Mm -hmm. Laughter and screaming are cousins, oh, sure. and they do the same thing. They release tension, and the more tension you build, the bigger the laugh. And I've been doing stand up long enough that I trust. The silence is enough. I love to build tension in a show. I love to stop and slow down. And you can feel the audience go, something, where is this going? What's right. he doing? Uh, that uh, I love that stuff. And there's a lot of that in Strange Love. And, and it's also, 
not everything needs to be brutally hilarious. And like the scenes of the attack on Burpleson Air Force Base are, I think that's the name of it. I think so. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, um, our, our, our documentary style, there's nothing funny about them. Uh, but because they're played for real, that the scenes with Sterling Hayden and Peter Sellers work. Because one of the things that you need, and Kubrick understood this, and I'll give you an example, a strange example of somebody not understanding this, that when you get into this situation, that when you, let's say, let's call it horror and comedy. Sure. But in this case, it's the horror of war, but it's still horror. That for the comedy to work, the, 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 the horror cannot know that it's in a comedy. Right. The horror and the comedy have to live and exist separately because they both exist on suspension of disbelief, but they're differing since differing levels of suspension of disbelief. Yeah, the characters have to be invested in the situation for us to believe the laughter. Like, for us to get Exactly. The Absolutely. Um, and a, a beautiful example of it working, two beautiful examples of it working, An American Werewolf in London yeah, and Shaun of the Dead with a glaring example, a glaring exception in Shaun of the Dead. Which is? The guy in the dog leash in the backyard. That It's such uh, a... What we would call in The Simpsons a wacky stack. Uh, okay. it, it's the oh, to me, it's the it's the it's the uh, the one they got away with because it really shouldn't have worked. You mean um, the very end with with Ed in the shed, or is there? I think isn't it the beginning? I don't know the film as much as you, isn't it the beginning with the throwing records at the guy on a dog oh, leash. Oh, yeah, he's just. I'm not even sure he's on. Is he on a leash or is he just yeah. stuck? On Might something? just be stuck there. Yeah. yeah, that is the one that's kind of like the zombie should not be funny. Yeah. And the zombies should not be put in the funny situations. That's true. But the joke is to... I mean, the joke works because it distracts us when they start fighting over... It. Yeah. It's like, it just... It's... Um, Sean... Oh, God. I know. You're... I, you can tell. Yeah. You yeah. Saw yeah. The poster. Huge, yeah. huge fan. Um, and I, I... And it's an amazing movie. And, yeah. and Simon's the best. And I think the reason it works is um, because the Arrested Development stuff is all taken absolutely seriously. Like, yeah. The whole point is that this guy cannot rouse himself out of his own personal torpor to realize the world is ending around yeah. him. And so in that moment where they start fighting over, you know, like this, when the second the second coming, the Stone Roses second album, yeah. where one of them's about to throw it and uh, Ed's about to throw it and Sean says, I liked it. And it becomes this little <laughs> yeah. fight over, I, yeah. that redeems that. Yeah, I wish, they I, were, I, I wish there wasn't a zombie in that scene. It's yeah. the only thing. I see what you mean. Um, but yeah, American World of London is a great example of it. Here's an example of it not working at all. Mars Attacks. If I could remake a movie... Really? I would remake Mars Attack. Because everybody's leaning into it. Everybody's leaning into it, and he doesn't realize that you can't have funny Martians and people also trying to be funny. That you need, If you edited the Martians from Mars Attacks, and this is not my observation, it's Tom Kenny's, okay. if you know who Tom Kenny is. Yeah, sure. Tom Kenny said to me once, if you took the Martians from Mars Attacks and edited them into Independence Day... That is the comedy. If the human beings are playing it straight as a heart attack and the Martians are wacky, then you have the beautiful, perfect movie. Um, And, you know, that's why the assault on Burpleson Air Force Base is played straight. And then you cut inside to Peter Sellers and Sterling Hayden and it works so great because you have a boot on your chest and now you can push it off. Yeah. And the Coke machine, too, is another moment where... Perfect example, yeah. yeah. Where you just, you, you run smack into the absurdity of the real world. Yeah. Uh, I don't and, want any preversions. Yeah. And it's the unbending... And Keenan is so brilliant in that yeah, part. It's the unbending nature of the joke, right? Like, yes. No matter what you think the scene is about, it's going to be about this moment right here. Yeah. It's the, it's, 
it goes back to well, what would they order during the war room moment? Yeah, like, when, how would you? I just I there's a great scene. There's there's these little things that when it's done well that are so chilling. You know, it's like when, when, when in the moment, very early in the movie, when Peter Sellers learns that they've sent the wing, mm-hmm. he just goes, "Oh hell!" <laughs> but it's so ch- it's so like it means so much. And it's just two little words, but it's just, it's kind of, it's like a little beautiful moment where it's like, oh no, it happened. We did yeah. it. Oh hell. There's another weird moment, one of my favorite movies. It's a TV movie. Um, the original Night Stalker with Darren McGavin. Oh, sure, yeah. There's a really chilling, weird line in that for a monster movie where they find the body of a woman and she's in the desert. And the guy goes, there's no footprints between here and there. And Darren McGavin goes, what did he do, throw her? And it's just this odd, like, yeah, yeah he did. It's ugly and cynical. And- yeah, and, and it's also, it's like, whatever we're dealing with did that. Threw a woman 22 feet. Yeah. It's great. It's just like, and it's not a big line, and he just throws it away. But it shows you the stakes. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and what Sellers does, yeah, that line, now that I'm thinking about it, it's just like, I hadn't even, I've, I noticed it, I saw it. Yeah. But now it's just like, oh, that's right. This is not only, like, it's dread. Yeah. It's exasperation, but it's also like, well, this happened. Like, he's so, <laughs> yeah. he's so nonchalant yeah. in a weird way in his disappointment. Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Yeah. He's so disappointed that this, happened, oh, that this couldn't be stopped. Yeah, and he's a Brit in America. You know, it's like yeah. all that class stuff comes in. Yeah, yeah. It's it's remarkable. The and another the beautiful did it anyway. Yeah, I love little. You know, I'm a comedy writer and a comedian, and I love beautiful little jokes that are like diamonds to me. <laughs> and I, there's these so many moments. There's one scene where Hayden, uh, with his big phallic cigar sticking out of his mouth. I mean, he looks like a penis. He's smoking a penis. Yeah. It's so phallic. But and he has no self awareness. No like, self awareness. All in the line readings in any of them. No, amazing. and he has a he sets the Colt 45 on his desk, and it's pointed. <laughs> At Sellers. Yeah. But he's, he, he's not touching it. It's just sitting on his desk. And he has this one line. He goes, Mandrake, do you realize as we sit here talking so amiably? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so amiably. It's just such a beautiful, weird little <laughs> flair de lee in that moment. Yeah. Sitting here talking so amiably. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's the... Purple scenario. Oh, I can revoke space. this at any moment. It's the power. It's yeah. the posturing, and it is a dick move. Like <laughs> for him, it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, he's such a fucking yeah. dick. Everything about that movie, I, it just even now, like it just fires on all cylinders. It does. It fires. It's just smart people doing their jobs yeah. the, the best of their ability, <laughs> sending us screaming into the abyss. Yeah, there's a great uh, shout out to Strange Love in Raising Arizona when um, John Goodman and the other guy tunnel up into the bathroom. Yeah. Uh, written all over the bathroom wall is P O E O P E P O E O P E P E O. Yeah, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. Of course it is because the Coens are freaking geniuses. Yeah, exactly. So, like the one thing they've never really done is a Kubrickian pastiche. Even in Hail Caesar, there's no room for one. Yeah, Hail Caesar. I was disappointed by it. Was one of their movies that I would refer to as being confuse hilarious. I like that it exists in the same world as Barton Fink, mm-hmm. but it ain't no Barton Fink. Now, in my mind, Barton Fink went back to New York to, to write for TV in the 50s. Barton Fink is in my top five. Back. Barton Fink is in my top five movies. My, like, of the Coens or ever? Ever. Oh, wow. You get Planet of the Apes, the original, obviously. Strange Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ed Wood. 
Um, you'd have to pl- piggyback Plan Nine from Outer Space onto Ed Wood because to me they uh, they are of a sort of they are yeah. of a piece. Yeah. Um, Skipping through the universe together forever. Yeah, they're connected, joined at the hip, and uh, and I would put uh, uh, Barton Fink in there, and uh, and then may you know maybe Holy Grail just in terms of just like wow yeah. So is the Barton Fink connection? It's comedy the way I like comedy. It's yeah. comedy when that you know it's it's the same with Doctor Strangelove. The building's on fire, and we got to get out. You know, and the comedy comes from uh, des- fear, desperation, and and I love you know I I I'm a writer who works in Hollywood, so there's a lot I recommend. I love the beauty of the painting that he longs to be in this painting yeah. with this woman. I love the longing, the beauty of that. That's such a that's what Hell Caesar doesn't have. As it doesn't have the painting, it doesn't have the longing of this of Eddie Mannix, yeah. who was a real guy. Yeah, and not at all like he's portrayed, as I understand. Oh, he was a horrible man. Yeah. He was a horrible man. Do you listen to You Must Remember This? I haven't reached that point if he's in there. There's an Eddie Mannix episode. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, that that podcast. I just discovered it. It's like porn. I <laughs> I just I can't get enough of it. She's yeah. so good. It is amazing, and and um, I'm kind of in awe of what she's managed to accomplish with. Just the scholarship of it. Like yeah. The depth of it. And I do on my podcast, I have like a mini edition of that in the middle of every podcast where I just talk, I go deep dish about something that I'm really fascinated by at that particular time. I did one on the Night Stalker. Mm. Last episode was Evil Knievel. Just like weird little things that I get really fascinated by. And then I heard hers and I was like, oh, you did it as a whole podcast. God yeah. love you. It's an amazing uh, commitment of, yeah. of resources. She's uh, Ryan Johnston's girlfriend. Oh, so they're in England now because he's shooting Star Wars. Yeah, eight. I didn't know that. Yeah, um, good for Ryan. Nice to see Ryan had a break. <laughs> Directing Star Wars with a super cool girlfriend. Blah blah blah. <laughs> he has had my heart ever since he revealed his TV Ninja thing, where if he sees a television set that's misconfigured or miscalibrated to like showroom settings, he has to fix it. Because I, I do that. And <laughs> so we were talking about it when he came through town for Looper, and I was just like, brother, you, you don't know how alone I felt. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Did he, he must have laughed. He's really like the West Coast version of me. Yeah, um, that's so funny. And yeah, and now he's making a Star Wars movie, and I'm yeah. just I'm so happy for him. To have yeah, his it'll be, it'll be uh, yeah, um, very high hopes for it. It's shooting yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be in London in two weeks, and I'm just like, I probably can't convince anyone to let me on that set. Are they, are they, they in London? I think Pinewood, they, yeah. They started shooting in Pinewood. They will shoot me on site if I go anywhere but, near. But yeah, I'm so glad. Do you want to, or do. do you just want it to be magic? No, I do. I want to. I'm yeah. so fascinated with the way that, and this is a whole other thing, a whole other podcast, I'm sure, topic. But I'm so amazed at the fact that after the prequels and after all this time, someone figured out how to make a Star Wars movie again and it, make it, us care. It's everything I talked about in my, the last episode of my podcast, the Danny Gould Hour. Um, if you listen to the episode Happy Sad, mm-hmm. it's all about it because the last episode made me happy sad. Um, it's a nice movie. Yeah, episode seven. Um, uh, I I I was I saw it in a very terrible mind frame. I had just um, I had a, a, a very long uh, relationship had was was ending. Um, uh, uh, this <laughs> deeply, pro- I, yeah, I, I I was divorced and um, went in the midst of my divorce. Uh, met a woman and we uh, we, we were getting simultaneously divorced, okay. and we went through our divorces together and spent three years together and. You know, it, it's it's not destined to work. You know, when you're forged in agony like that, but that's it's, a really profound relationship. It's a profound relationship, and we are very close still. Like we know what sure. we are to each other. Um, 
But as it was ending, it was when I went to see Star Wars. And um, so I was in a weird frame of mind. Um, I'm a little older than you. I saw the original Star Wars when I was 12. Mm, I was... And I saw Empire when I was 15. So I was the perfect age. Yeah. I was eight. I'm yeah. not much younger. Yeah. I was like, you know, I was like Peedle. I was like, Star Wars is to me what like people who saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan when they were 13 right. was to them. It's like, yeah, I was, this movie was made for me when I was that age at that time. I was the target audience of Star Wars when it was originally released. Right. And seeing when Harrison Ford and, and Chewie run onto the Falcon, I got, I didn't get a lump in my throat. I got a boulder in my throat oh. because, well, it's two things. It was like, it was such, uh, it was happy sad because here I am experiencing a genuine thing that I did for my childhood. This is like I am now 15 again. Mm -hmm. I am in a movie theater watching Harrison Ford and Peter Mayhew play Han Solo and Chewbacca. But I'm not 15. Yeah. And they're not 34 anymore. Yeah, yeah. We all look like shoes. <laughs> and I'm divorced and I'm now single again. And he's old and he's playing crash and and it was just like it was it reminded me of the of the twilight zone episode walking distance sure where the father says to his grown son you can't be here you you can't be here this is his summer not yours and it that's how i felt seeing it i loved it and it was beautiful and but if it was just the old generation of characters, it would have been a suicide movie. But yeah. but the fact that they brilliantly carried it over. And my theory on it is, you know, they had to, you know, uh, studios are in the process now of creating, of owning a universe. Mm -hmm. What universe do you own? Marvel or uh, the Hunger Games or whatever. And then you can play, play in that universe forever in a day. Right. And... You know, Disney happens to own nine out of ten of the existing universes. Oh, and of course, um, and Patton Oswalt, uh, in his monologue on your show, had that incredible theoretical breakthrough where you could loop together all the universes and have Tony Stark open a time portal. In yes, yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Which we all thought, oh, that's ridiculous. But I'm sure one executive is going, actually. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. And and what they did with Star Wars, especially after the pre, I, you know, I am of the belief that there are only two good Star Wars movies. Now there are three. There yeah. were two. Um, I wrote the article Fifty Reasons Return of the Jedi Sucks" <laughs> for Sci-Fi Universe when in 1995 or six, when it was a heretical statement. When it was a heretical statement, yeah, I wrote it with Dan Weber. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, we were, uh, you know, George Lucas referenced that. <laughs> referenced that article when he did the spe when he announced he was doing the special editions. He said, oh, "I read all these articles about people who think the movies suck, so I want to fix them." And you know, mm -hmm. but uh, but what they did was we need to reset this universe for people. And what I think they did was, if you look at Force Awakens, Act One is a remake of Star Wars, yeah. Act Two is a remake of Empire, and Act Three is a remake of Jedi. Yeah, it's and that genius. they that they encapsulate they, they made one movie to restart the whole franchise. Done, and now you can go. Yeah, and it lets you experience the joys of those movies while also understanding generationally, which is the absolute genius thing they did, and the only thing that from the prequels that even is even necessary is that they stole the thing from Galactica. All of this has happened before, and all of this will happen again. And yeah. by tying it to the Skywalker family. Genius. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely genius. I don't have any of the reservations I had with the prequels where, uh, come on. Okay, here. I'll, I'll lay this one on you. Um, 
there is one thing that I was sure was going to happen in The Phantom Menace that didn't happen. And had it happened... <laughs> Something? <laughs> Technically, no. This is it. Trust me on this. Had it happened, we would not hate it. We would have had way more hope for the prequels going forward. All it had to do, and it was it would have cost nothing. In the final sequence where Obi-Wan is watching Darth Maul and Qui-Gon yeah. and Neeson fight... And Neeson, then the security, those stupid security doors come yeah. up, and Neeson and uh, uh, Marl and, and Qui-Gon are separated. Uh -huh. And Qui-Gon knows he's beaten. Yeah. And he, they just look at each other, and he meditates. The only thing that should have happened in that scene is that Neeson raises his lightsaber and waits to be killed. Yeah, 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 and yeah. Instantly, you have a continuum, you yeah. have continuity. We understand retroactively why Ben does it in four. Mm -hmm. It would have, like, chills through the room the audience would like and we were all braced for it in 1999 yeah. we were waiting for that and it doesn't happen and i just said what and then he dies and he's struck down and he doesn't disappear and nothing and it's just like oh george lucas doesn't understand his own movies no that's, and that that's not the first time that's happened no but it was like, <laughs> crystallized right yeah. like you just suddenly realize all the lies all the other stuff he's done and all the stories yeah. he's told it's like oh no no you have no idea yeah. what people hold dear i agree i i don't think he has he's he's too close or he has, he has no clue yeah and no then you clue. see strangers like abrams just comes in and oh no this is why you love this this is what works you remember this thing right yeah. this thing's great here's a new thing that's also good and you just like it's got such confidence and authority and i went back and watched it again with with uh, my wife and it was the f she hadn't seen i saw a preview screening where you were uh -huh. you know if you brought a guest you'd be murdered right um where the guest would be murdered is a lesson to you and and you uh, and we went back and i watched the audience and they were just they were silent and it was a sunday afternoon screening and it's like oh they've already seen this once like they're just here to watch it again and yeah. everyone's just sort of it's okay you can enjoy it it's going to be fine yeah 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 and every they skillfully gave everybody an entrance yeah. they gave everything an entrance yeah yeah no the whole point i mean the, the phantom menace i saw phantom menace opening night in new york oh. uh and we didn't even have tickets we didn't even think about going it was during the network upfronts okay. which is when the big networks all go to new york and they do they premiere their fall schedules for the advertisers right. uh my wife was there because she was an agent and she had shows on the air. I was there doing Conan. Okay. So we were both in New York. Our friend, this was back in what my wife and I referred to as back in the day. Uh, we weren't married yet. We didn't have kids yet. Uh, we were in New York. We were, you know, our best friend was the president of the WB. And he had tickets. Like, yeah, we'll go. It'll be great. Um, and we went opening night. And everyone's in costume. And two minutes into it, you're like, it's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. You could tell right away. Yeah, because the it goes right out of it. Yeah, they're waiting. The first thing they're doing is waiting. And you can just, yeah, it, it was almost like, pfft. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, and you can see the lightsabers just in the front. And the, and, and, the, and, the, and the crowd fighting it. Like yeah. the, the oh, crowd yeah, yeah, yeah. not wanting to admit that it's bad. It was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. Yeah, it was really just, I had the same experience here in, in a Toronto screening, I guess, two days before theatrical yeah. opening we, the press screening was a preview at this big 700 seat theater and everybody was just wired out of their minds and yeah it's just like oh it's just inert nothing's happened yeah why, why are we saying and and then again abrams just realizes no motion you know like people are addressed doing shit they're introduced moving through the well, scene star wars you talk about cut to the chase yeah star wars well, and this is, okay, there we go. Star Wars is in the middle of a chase. Yeah, I mean, it opens after all the other yeah. stuff has happened. Yeah, and you don't need to go back 
a second in time. Nothing that happened before that moment matters and no one cares. Yeah. That's the basic premise yeah. of the prequels. That's why he started where he started. Yeah, right. Nobody gives you. And it was never the saga of a family. It was you wanted to make Flash Gordon. You couldn't. Mm-hmm. So you invented your own. And then some stuff fell into it by accident from other people. And then you retroactively built this mythology around it. Uh, you never wrote 21 movies yeah. and wrote, you know, it's just like he's just such a charlatan. It's, you know, it's, it's the worst. And I think that's why, like, even you, your impression of him sounds kind of Muppety. Everybody does that. Uh, yeah. So do I. It's, uh, you know, the sense that he's just, the, he is this fraudulent Wizard of Oz character yeah. now who he got, he couldn't acknowledge that he got lucky. That's the thing I've never understood. Yeah, like seventy-seven and eighty, you made two. You created mythology. You changed the world. You yeah. made something that wasn't there before out of pieces that were, and you showed people a new kind of dream. Yeah, and you reinvented everything we think about space opera. Like you invented space yeah. opera or yeah. upgraded it from from yeah. Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and Lensman, and you're just. Just say so. Like, just you used to say it all the time. Just yeah. admit it and say, and now we're going to do this. But it's like, no, no, no. I have this grand plan, nine yeah. movies, and then it was six movies. And yeah, yeah. Back to nine movies. Yeah, it was, it's all baloney. And oh, um, the internet is filled with these rantings. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 it is uh, that thing in the 1980, part of, part of the reason he got so lucky in 1980 is he had a director that wouldn't listen to him. Yeah. You know? He fought a lot of fights. He lost a lot of battles with Irving. He thought Irving Kirshner would do everything he said. Right. And Irving Kirshner went, "Fuck you." Yeah. I'm the director here. <laughs> yeah. And you know there, you know there was, there was a scene. Uh, the the most famous example is "I Love You, I Know," mm-hmm. where he was like, "No, he can't say I know. He's got to say I love you too." And Irving Kirshner was, "You're out of your fucking mind. That's a much better line." Yeah. And he fought it up until it came out. Yeah. He's you a know. space scoundrel. But that's uh, and there it is. Like he just doesn't know. Who Harrison Ford made Han Solo? No, like he's just, and I guess that's it. He just can't divorce himself from the idea of the character in his head or whatever the story. No, it's like, you know, it's like he wouldn't shoot first. Yes, he would. He did. Yeah, he always did. Yeah, and he's like, well, this is gonna be Princess Leia. You can't shoot her. Yeah, I did. That's the whole point yeah. that she fell in love with somebody she shouldn't have because she's a human being. Because yeah. if you and remember. that's what we all do at some point in our lives. Yeah. And if you remember, George, the original idea was that she was gonna fall in love with the guy you later decided was her, her brother. brother. Right? Yeah. So well, that's you know, not... it's the start of the force is very different with people. Like, nope, 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 nope. No. And it was also like, Darth Vader was not Luke's father in yeah. Star Wars. No. They didn't know how to end Empire. Yeah. So they said, what if we make Darth Vader Luke's father? Oh, that's interesting. And it's great. Because it does. It clarifies everything. And it yeah, makes all but, the work, but I yeah. am telling you, when they were making Star Wars, Darth Vader was not his dad. And Darth Vader wasn't the he central was figure of the mythology, because if he was, yeah. he would have been in it for more than six minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody described him on my podcast as a uh, disco samurai. Sure. <laughs> He's just a samurai, disco samurai Avenger. Yeah. With uh, with James Earl, you know, Jones's <laughs> voice. Yeah. But that brings us back to Strangelove. Because James, James Earl Jones is in See? the cockpit. I can segue anything. Yeah, he's in the cockpit. Um, I believe, is William Daniels in that cockpit? There's certainly... William Daniels' voice The future is, of St. Elsewhere? No. William Daniels' voice is in that cockpit. I don't know if it's his... There's one of the guys... I wonder. It sounds... Go to the cockpit scenes. Mm-hmm. One of the guys sounds like he was looped by William Daniels. It's certainly possible. Yeah. I mean, he would have... Kubrick was living in New York at the time. He would have known yeah. the guy from his TV work. You have to... I'm telling you, it's not one of the, the navigator. 
Mm-hmm. Sounds like he's being looped by William Daniels. We'll revisit that because that's yeah. something I've never really thought about. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's weird. Every time I bring, every time a guest brings a huge movie in, mm-hmm. it feels like we don't cover it enough. Right. But I think that's just the way it is. It's a, well, it's the nature of conversation. Passes. It's the nature. Yeah. Of, it's a, it's a it's a river, and it's always going to follow its own path. Um, but, but something like Strange Love is so like so big and and so intimidating. I mean, you can actually track the evolution of an entire comic sensibility from it. Totally. Where, where previously, like Star Wars, nothing had existed before. Yes. And it lands like an atomic bomb and just do- changes and, the world. And has no peer. They mm. never did that again. Yeah, because there's no point. Like, everything would be compared to Dr. Strangelove. Yeah, but they never did a com- like an Armageddon war comic. It just yeah. can't go near it. No, it's funny. The, the only other film, and this is going to sound weird, I'm sure, the only other film that I think of in terms of like a comedic presence on on the landscape that way is airplane, yeah. Which, like Strange Love, was a straight project that became perverted into a comedy. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's a remake of Zero Hour. This this terrible nineteen um, fifties uh, movie about a prop plane uh, airliner where everyone gets food poisoning and they have to land the plane without a pilot. That's a real movie that was made by Paramount. I did not know that. Yeah. And they took the script, and some of the script pieces are the same. Um, but but played you know like uh-huh. into comedy, and it's the disconnect between the archness of the performances and the ridiculousness. I mean, it's right. a weird analog in that twenty years later, they found a way to do the same kind of frenzied build with a serious face. Yeah. But beyond that, there's absolutely nothing connecting the two films. Like just they're weird circumstantial evolutions of comedy. Yeah, and they did, and and Airplane absolutely said no, we're going to do this. Yeah. What's all? And again, Airplane was not the thought to be successful yeah, by yeah. its studio the big movie that summer the big comedy that summer from was it Warner Brothers who what uh, well no Paramount released Airplane right the big movie I guess Paramount released this movie too was going to be Stroker Ace with Burt Reynolds oh my god and that tanked and so they had to put something into theaters so they widened Airplane's release and created a monster yeah yeah and don't call me Shirley. I did not know that. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, like, I guess, yeah, you can never know what the audience will respond to. I assume because Burt Reynolds at the time was a gargantuan megastar who couldn't yeah. be stopped. But yeah, and you never you know these people just they step in crap sometimes. Mm. You can't, you you know, it's the nature of nature of the business. I you know somebody, could, you know, like I had an idea, like one of my, how could I rip off Strangelove? Right would be 24 hours in the life of a big city when there's a contested mayoral election and a police shooting of a black kid. Okay. And you get and then you get all of those archetypes that you can mock up. Right. So and then uh, because it's a comedy the black kid would be found to be not dead and um, you know uh, so you, it's an institutional crisis rather than a personal crisis. Right, but to to play out to mock out all of the personality, uh, cult, socio-political, cultural archetypes that Strangelove does on a smaller scale. Okay. Like, that would be a way to do it, I think. Nobody would pay to see this. It's basically <laughs> in the way that Strangelove is the comedic answer to Failsafe, even though it beat it to the screen. Mm-hmm. This would be the comedic answer to City of Hope, the John Sayles oh, movie. Okay. Um, but uh, who knows? City of Dopes. There you go. There you go. It writes itself. That's a Simpson. No, I don't have to write it. Yeah. <laughs> you need. You just need one clarifying character. You know, like it's like the um, 
Uh, Philip Fowler made a movie last year called My Internship in Canada, uh-huh. um, which was pitched to him by his cinematographer, uh, or a cinematographer friend, rather, who said, here's an idea. I don't, I, I don't want to make this. I can't make this. I have to give it to you. The idea is... I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah. A member of parliament in Quebec who has run as an independent and is sitting as an independent and has no party affiliation finds himself with a swing vote on an abortion law. <sighs> and... He gets courted by both sides, and this is what right. the movie's about. And uh, wow, and, that's a great idea. Well, yeah. And Philip said, "What happens next? What like that's great. Then what happens?" And his cinematographer friend says, "Oh, I don't know. That's why I'm giving it to you. I can't. <laughs> I, I've been trying to crack this. I can't break yeah. this." So uh, Philip turned it into a different political situation. He has the he has the swing vote on whether or not Canada commits to a war. Oh, okay. Uh, to sending assistance, military assistance, somewhere across the, the globe. We never yeah. find out where. And then then it becomes. His his Philip's cracking of it was that his wife is a hawk and his daughter is a dove and they're the ones pushing back and forth. Plus, there's everybody else in right. But that's how it spiraled. And it wasn't until he figured out who the politician was and what his history was that it became funny. Right. Up until then, it was this terrifying political. Right, 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 right. Oh, that's fascinating. So the way in is he said the way in was to find this poor guy who just yeah. you know, like he's good at what he does, but he doesn't want to do anything. Well, they tried to do that on the HBO series uh, with Jack Black and Tim Robbins that just came out. They, they oh, tried yeah. to do the strange love situation with that, and I don't think it played. No. Good. Well, the problem now with geopolitics is that it's all too intimate. I think everything's yeah. become so personal that like we can no longer imagine an. an a human-based threat taking out the whole world the way we used to because right. the Soviets were faceless monsters who right. wanted our deaths or vice versa, depending on who was telling the story. Now, it's always a virus or a comet. Right. It's something implacable that we can maybe stop, but probably not. Right. And we can't envision our own destruction coming from inside anymore. And I kind of want to believe that Strangelove helped with that yeah. by humanizing it all and showing us just how ridiculous it would have to be to get to that point. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, maybe we're just, you know, maybe it's just the internet. Well, it's also a beautiful thing you have to remember about Strange Love is that it does end with the, they don't save the world. No, no, not even a little. Yeah, that's the other, that's what makes it a great film. Yeah, they create a little um, Playboy shelter for themselves. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure we all believe that that's what the 1% would do. Yeah. Yeah. And to the point where, like, of course, they'll have to have breeding <laughs> desires. <laughs> Only the most pure specimens. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, and then Emmerich goes ahead and makes 2012, where that's basically the plan. Like, the world is about to end, and so the rich get space arcs. Yeah. That, or water arcs. They're not even space arcs. That was a great switch in the movie. It's like, oh, no, we're not leaving the planet. We're, we're not that advanced. But we can float for a little while yeah. until it fixes itself. But just this whole triumph of the 1% thing. That creeps me out. That a movie yeah. can be immune to that irony. Strange Love totally knows what it's doing. It yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that kind of revulsion for the right for the situation? Yeah, and still true. gets us to laugh at it, which is yeah, goddamn genius. Well, that's the other, and the you know, the, another idea for a comedy is that you know, the the one thing the one percent can't buy their way out of is time. Mm. They're going to go old and they're going to die, and that's the there's a comedy in there someplace. Yeah, there's a couple of really terrible straight science fiction movies too. You must Selfless. mean Gattaca. No, Selfless, <laughs> just last year, the one where Ben Kingsley gets to be Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I didn't see it. Yeah, is that what it is? That's or? the idea. You can just download your personality into a younger body. Oh, okay. And then you have to take pills, and then they own you. It's, sec- it's seconds, basically, without the surgery. Right, yeah, seconds without the surgery. Yeah. Or, uh, but a comedy version of seconds. Logan's Run. <laughs> a comedy version of Logan's Run would be great. You just regress it until everybody's so young that they can't actually operate the machinery. I think, how, I think Logan's Run is the comedy version of Logan's Run. <laughs> <laughs> it may well be. Okay, so to wrap uh, the, the question, the final question is always the same yeah. as well, which is that, and I'm pretty sure you've already explained this, but 
what of Strangelove have you lifted? Is there anything that you've used or absorbed or, or internalized? Yeah, you, it, it, uh, you know, I have the same attitude towards where comedy comes from that Strangelove does, mm. that it comes from very serious things um, played out in a way that is based on realistic human reaction uh, and the comedy the comedy is because you choose to laugh instead of cry or scream. Right. That it's a choice. Like, I try in all of my stuff in my act, certainly the stuff that is important and matters, is based on very real things that it can be serious and some are darker than others, but there, you know, people have come up to me and say, oh, yeah, it's so sad, that story. I mean, it's funny, but it's so sad. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. As George Carlin said, you never... You never laughed harder than when you're kneeling at the casket. <laughs> yeah, it's grim, but yeah, it's yeah, not it's wrong. A, <laughs> you know, it's it's just, uh, you know, comedy under pressure. Yeah. You know, and, and, and real pressure. It doesn't have to be gallows humor exactly, but the understanding. No, but, you know, comedy based in desperation, anxiety, panic yeah. is where I get most of my best stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing where you have to laugh because you can't do anything else. Yeah. The classics. The basic yeah. Human you have to stay alive. Yeah. 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 My thanks to Dana Gould, who's off working on Standing Against Evil with John C. McKinley and Janet Varney for IFC right now, and whose podcast, The Dana Gould Hour, you can find at danagould.com or wherever you find the podcasts you enjoy. He's also on Twitter at Dana Gould, all one word. You can find Dr. Strangelove in various DVD and Blu-ray editions from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, and it's kicking around on various digital services, But really, if you don't already own it, hold off until June 28th when it arrives in a shiny new special edition from the Criterion Collection. Um, Been waiting for this for a very long time. If you, like me, have been clinging to your Criterion Laserdisc special edition of Dr. Strangelove, you can finally upgrade. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast. S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. This week's call sign is Precious Bodily Fluids. Because really, how could it not be? Thanks for listening. I'm afraid you're just too darn loud.